My name, Simeon. I would be one of the lesser-known characters of your Christmas story. At this time of the year, as today and the next few weeks, you'll be retelling all the stories. Joseph and Mary. And then there's the shepherds. And then there will be the angels. And then it will be the magi, those men who traveled far from the east to see the baby Jesus. And of course, Jesus, who is the center of it all. And you'd be telling stories of the trip to Bethlehem and being born in a stable, laid to rest in a manger. All those are important parts of the stories. And each teaches a certain truth about the Savior, the Messiah. But then there were others of us who were also part of that story, but we fit it into the background. Kind of silent. Not much is said about us. People like Anna the prophetess and me. We were part of a faithful remnant of people who were waiting and longing for the consolation of Israel, for the fulfillment of the promise of God that a Savior would come one day. I remember the first time I saw Jesus. It was, oh, there I go. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Sometimes my, the train of, my train of thought leaves the station without me. I was actually invited here today to tell you a little bit about the promise that rests in the background behind the Christmas story. Because there is a promise that was given to us long, long ago. A promise that was fulfilled when Jesus was finally born. It goes back to the days of Abraham, our forefather. He lived in a place called the Ur of the Chaldeans. The Ur of the Chaldeans was a pagan country. The people worshipped many, many gods. In fact, it was said that there were more gods in the Ur of the Chaldeans than fleas on a dog. That's the place where Abraham lived. And that's the place from where God called him and said, leave your family, your culture, your home, your country, and go to a place that I will show you on the way. No specific destination given. Just leave and go, and I will show you. And what God was doing there to Abraham, he was, he was calling him to follow, to follow him, to leave the pagan culture he lived in and then follow the living God. You see, in in that pagan culture, they had many gods, but none of them spoke. They sat on walls, they sat on the street corners, they sat in houses, they sat in the temples, but those gods never spoke. But one day, the living God spoke to Abraham and invited to come, and he went on a journey. In fact, God gave him a promise on that day. He promised them that Next slide, guys. He promised him that he would make him into a great nation. He would bless him and make his name great. And he would be a blessing. And all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. What a promise. Blessing, prosperity, descendants, a great name. And then to be a blessing to the entire earth. But there was was a problem. Abraham was 75 years old when he cut the promise. His wife Sarah was barren. They had no children. They had no son. There was no heir to carry on and make the promise happen. How would it ever, how could it ever happen for an old man like Abraham with no children, a barren wife? And yet God had said that the the one coming, the descendants, would come through a son that would be born from their own bodies. Sarah and Abraham believed God, and they waited. 
In fact, from the day they first got the promise, it was 24 years of waiting before God spoke again. 24 years of watching their bodies age, their sexual passion fade, and they're coming to the end of their time. Time was running out for this couple. And then when he was 99 years old, God appeared again and spoke to him and said, Abraham, by this time next year, your wife Sarah will give birth to a son. And they both laughed at such an impossibility. But it happened. God enabled Sarah to conceive. And one year later, on the date that God had said, she gave birth to a son when Abraham was 100 years old. Can you imagine that? Just as God had said. So they named their son Isaac. And you know what that meant? Isaac meant laughter because when they'd heard the news about a baby coming from their own bodies, they had laughed at the impossibility of such a thing. And God did bless Abraham. His flocks and herds multiplied greatly. He became well known among the, among the people of the region as, as a great man, very wealthy. But the promise of descendants... Abraham would never live long enough to see that. And certainly he was blessed, but he never had a home. He lived in tents. He never owned a piece of land other than a little burial plot he had purchased for his wife Sarah and himself to be buried in. He never saw the fulfillment of that promise. He only saw it and welcomed it from a, from a distance. But he remained faithful and trusted God throughout all his life. Their son Isaac, he would be the father of Jacob. Jacob would be the father of 12 sons. 12 sons would be the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they lived in Canaan for a while until a severe drought came, over, came across the land. And eventually, Jacob and his family moved to Egypt to survive the famine. And while they were there, it seemed that God had blessed them for a time. Their numbers increased. They multiplied. They were welcomed into Egypt as, as honored guests. But over time, that changed. And the Egyptians began to oppress them. And they forced them into slavery, harsh, cruel slavery. And they remained there in Egypt under that slavery for 400 years. 400 years of slavery. Long, hard, difficult times. But it was in that time that they began to remember the promise that God had given to their forefather Abraham. And when they began to remember that, they began to cry out to the God of Abraham, crying for relief. And God raised up a man named Moses, a descendant of Abraham. And Moses became their leader, and Moses eventually led them out of Egypt and led them to the promised land. And there, as they settled in and got settled down for a while, things began to be good. And it looked like they were blessed again. Because there in that land they, they prospered. They multiplied. They were protected from their enemies. And could that be the blessing that God had given promise to Abraham? Well except for that one part of the promise. That they, they would be a blessing to the whole earth. That to God's people for many, many, many years was a mystery. How would that be possible? That a small nation like, like, like Israel 
could ever bring blessing to the entire, entire world. But over time, God began to reveal the answer to that mystery through the writings of the prophets and through the writings of the Psalms. For in the Psalms, there's 25 specific Psalms that mention a prophecy about the coming one. And the prophets, they began to speak in terms of a person that was coming. The blessing that would bless the whole earth was, was not a program. It wasn't wealth. It wasn't a thing. It was a, a person. And so the prophets spoke. And you've, you've heard this, the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Micah. All, they're all, all often recounted at this time of the year. Like Isaiah said that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son and they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That the one coming would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, which is not the Jewish people, but others. That begins to spread it out beyond the Jewish nation. Or that he would be a light of salvation. He would take salvation to the ends of the earth. Another prophet said he would be called the son of God. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It was a person. And we began to know this person and believe in this person as the Messiah, the coming Messiah that would come one day. But even as the prophets spoke, God's people were not ready to listen. For when Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, when all those, when they spoke, they were speaking to a time of God's people in exile. You see, God's people had turned their backs on him. They began to embrace the worship of the culture around them. And they began to bring those idols into their homes and into their temple. And as a consequence of that, they began to do all kinds of evil practices that were never, part of, never to be part of God's people. And as evil got worse and worse, the prophets on behalf of God spoke and warned them again and again, stop and turn back, return, be faithful to God. But the people were not ready to listen to that. In fact, they beat the, the, the prophets, stoned them, and some of them they killed. And mixed into all that warnings was this, these words of hope of the promised Messiah that would come one day. When God's patience ran out, he raised up their enemies who came in and conquered them. They destroyed the whole city of Jerusalem. They destroyed their temple. And there, those who, who survived, they were marched off to Babylon, where they would spend 70 years in exile, 70 long years. But again, it was during those 70 years that the people of God began to remember the promise that God had given to their forefather, Abraham. And so they began to, to cry out to God, and they began to pray, and they began to believe, and they began to hope. When the 70 years were over, God brought them back to, to Israel. They rebuilt the city, they rebuilt the temple, and they settled down. And it seemed again that they were experienced the blessing of God because they, they were fruitful, they multiplied. Their crops produced lots, they were, they were prosperous, things were going well. Well, except for how they would be a blessing to the entire earth. And then, and then came the 400 silent years. 400 years. No prophetic voice was heard in the land. No prophetic word was recorded. 400 long, silent years. You see, our people, through the course of our history, have had 
to wait and wait for God to keep his promise. Do you like waiting? Hmm. I'd say your people haven't waited 400 years for a promise, have you? Except, of course, the coming of the second coming of the Lord. But then in the fullness of time, according to God's plan, God sent the angel Gabriel to a, to a virgin girl in, in, in Nazareth and said that she would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She would conceive and give birth to a son and they would call his name Jesus. And at the same time, another angel appeared to her fiancé, Joseph, in a dream and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your, as your wife. And then, in the mix of all that mess that was happening, Augustus Caesar made a decree that all, all the Roman world be called to register. A census was called for. And every man had to return to their place of birth to register. So Joseph and pregnant Mary had to make their way to Bethlehem. And of course, you know the story from there on. When they were there, there was no room. They ended up in a, a stable animal shelter. And the baby Jesus was laid in a feeding trough for animals. But he had arrived. You know, I was not there when the baby Jesus was born. I was not at the stable. I didn't even know about the stable at the time. But eight days later, the Holy Spirit prompted me to go to the temple. You see, I had been given a promise from God that I would not die until I had seen the Lord's anointed, until I had seen the Messiah with my own eyes. And as I watched the years go by, getting older and older, I began to wonder where God keep his promise to me. But that day, I was prompted to go to the temple. And when I got to the temple, there I saw the couple. They were carrying a baby. And they had a basket with two doves, which was the, the sacrifice offered, of sacrifice of the poor offered when they were dedicating their firstborn child to the Lord. And I knew in my heart, the Spirit prompted me right there that this is, this is the one, this is the one, this baby is the one. And I went up to them, took the baby in my arms, and gave thanks to God. I pronounced a blessing over Mary and Joseph. And I remember looking to heaven and saying, Lord, now you can let your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen the salvation that you have provided for all people. For all people. This, this, humble, this humble little baby was the one. But you know, it was hard times. Those are hard days for our people, Israel. Herod, as he grew older, became paranoid. And he, he, he murdered anybody that looked at him the wrong way. And the Romans, they oppressed us. And they ruled over us with an iron fist. And they imposed heavy taxes that were driving most people into poverty. And then this decree was issued. And that caused all the men to leave their work and leave their families and travel to the place of birth to register. Those are hard days for our people. Hard days indeed. But... In the midst of all that, God was at work. God was doing something wonderful, something good. God was fulfilling his promise to his people. 
A promise he'd made many, many years ago. That there would be one who would come through the descendants of Abraham who would bring blessing not only to Israel but also to the entire world. Jesus was a savior of the world. From a humble birth to his death on the cross to the empty grave, he provided forgiveness of sin to all who would believe and surrender their hearts to him. This is the fulfillment of the promise of how our people would be a blessing to the whole earth. The blessing would come through the Savior who would die for the sins of the entire world. So remember that next time when people around you are telling you that these are bad days, these are bad times. And I know that they're difficult times, times you're not used to going through. You all have your own Herods and Caesars and taxes and government decrees and trials and troubles. That is all true. But remember that in all the bad stuff that happens in our world, God, our God is at work. He's doing good. He's bringing good. And the good that he brought in my time was Jesus. And he will bring him back again. So do not be discouraged and do not be afraid. For he is your God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will hold you in his righteous right hand. And he will guide you on the way. That is the good news of Christmas. Amen. Four hundred years of silence. You hear that as he shared that portion of the story. 400 years, they didn't hear from God. He was silent. Had he forgotten them? Had he abandoned them? 12 generations? 13, 14? How many generations in 400 years had he didn't say a word? Where did he go? Didn't he love us? Didn't he care? Why had he abandoned us? And then he came back. Then the angels descend and begin to sing the song. And the shepherds, their eyes are opened. He's back. 400 years, he's back. And the baby is born and everything changed forever. Satan tries to snuff out this flame of hope. Using Herod to go after these infants. These babies to try to eliminate all of them in town. To not let this light succeed. Yet, darkness can't overcome the light. Jesus escapes. Thank you, Simeon, for those, uh, for those words of old. Those retellings of the prophecy. I love that. That was fun. All those years ago, Isaiah said he's coming. And after Isaiah spoke those words, the nation of Israel got destroyed. Taken away into slavery, they lost their temple and their city. But Isaiah had spoken, he's coming. God with us is coming, don't worry, he's coming. Emmanuel. Then the angels appeared and he had come back. Heavenly Father, 
I hope that this has just instilled joy in the church. The joy that we get to live in the hope that they clung onto that you would come back. We live in that every day. As we light these candles, as we sing these songs and reflect on the beauty of what you did, how you fulfilled your promise, that you blessed the whole world through Abraham's family, we live in the joy that this light has returned and we no longer live in darkness. Thank you, God, that you saw it fit to come back and rescue us, that your love for us is unconditional. We can't lose it and we don't deserve it. That's mercy and that's grace extended to us. Lord, would our hearts be brought back to you this Christmas season? Would our worship be redirected towards you, acknowledging that you are the king, you are God? We're not. We're not. And this next couple weeks as we get ready for Christmas, this is about you. I pray that you would occupy a special place in our hearts and in our minds as we prepare to see our family and as we prepare for presents, as we prepare for meals together that you would occupy a special place in our minds and in our hearts. Without you, there's no singing over the shepherds. Without you, there's no sacrifice for sin. Without you, there is no escape from slavery. Without you, we're trapped. But with you, there's hope and peace and joy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Dismiss the church this morning with your blessing. Dismiss them with great joy and help them to carry this joy out into the world and to share it with every person that they meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.